What's up, guys? My name is Barn Saunders, and you're listening to the Sunday Recovery Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. And on this podcast, we will be talking about recovery in the broadest, most general sense possible. Recovery is so much more than just getting over something. Whether that be drugs, loss, physical injury, or mental health, the principles of recovery can be applied to all areas of life. And in this podcast, we're going to be focusing on everything and anything that can cause struggles in life or cause great success in life, and how to navigate through the good and the bad times, as well as getting on the path of recovery from any and all setbacks or choices that may have led you down the wrong path. Another thing I want to emphasize is recovery is a constant progression forward. And what that means is recovery doesn't ever end. You can recover from something and then always fall right back to where you were. That's why in recovery, and especially here on the Sunday Recovery Podcast, you won't hear us talk about how to recover and be finished. Recovery is always pushing forward and striving for betterment, even when the original reason for starting recovery is no longer a factor in your daily life. Alrighty, and we are on. What's going on, Shaney? Yo, yeah, glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Dude, of course. And father. Hello, hello. <laughs> it is very fitting uh, for you to hop on the pod for a Father's Day special episode. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But yeah, so uh, I want to say thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in this week. Got two very special guests. I got my little brother, Shane. And my dad, Ron, joining us on the pod today. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to get these guys on. I'm uh, coming up next month. I'll be coming up on my two-year clean anniversary. Hopefully these guys can come out and celebrate with me. You know, we'll bring some food, have a little potluck and all that. Yes, um, sir. But figured it'd be very fitting to get you guys on for an episode, especially Dad for Father's Day and Shane joining in. And, uh, you know, just, just talk about what it, was, what it was like when I was still in my active addiction and and how it, uh, you know, can affect family members. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a big topic that, you know, it comes up in discussion with, you know, me and my friends and my network in recovery a lot is, um, you know, a big part of being in active addiction. Um, and this was very true for me. And, and I discussed with other friends in recovery as well is, you know, when, when I was in my active addiction, it was very hard for me to you know, be aware of what it was doing to you guys, you know, my family and not just my family, but my close friends as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, when I was, when I was going through it and, you know, especially the, all the like close calls I had and, and the various overdoses I had. And, you know, I, I kind of in the moment, you know, I'd be viewing it as, you know, well, I'm only hurting myself, you know, like when I'm out here getting fucked up, you know, I'm really only fucking myself up, you know, I'm hurting my own personal health. You know, I'm destroying my own life and, you know, I never really took into account how much of an impact um, it definitely had on, on my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I guess, dude, starting out with you, Shane, I, wa- I wanted to get your uh, your point of view on like, you know, what it was like kind of seeing um, seeing that active addiction progressing in, in a close family member. Uh-huh. Um, I would say it was definitely biggest for me, like right before I went to college yeah um, like seeing you transition from like that uh, when you were a sophomore and I was a senior in college like just looking up to you so much it seemed like you were living like the ideal college experience <laughs> like so many friends I would 
always come up to visit and it would be like amazing parties and um, just seemed so fun and uh, I guess it was sort of because I was like more isolated from that lifestyle because I was still living at home um, but definitely like that first summer um, when I was getting ready to go to College Park like ready to be there and live it up with you and like sort of following similar footsteps and then uh, just seeing like what that path actually did um, and specifically like coming home and hearing your stories from uh, like your time at Garden and when mom definitely like the, the biggest thing I know I'm not doing a good job of phrasing it but uh, You're doing fine. That, that was like a big shock when uh, me and mom went to pick you up um, yeah. and like that ride to ride to the to the um, to the police station the police station or I guess they had you know hospital after yeah, yeah. and the ride from mm-hmm. you guys mom and I went to pick him up from the hospital <clears throat> but oh, then you went back car. to get the car that's right yeah. that's right that was the biggest yeah that that was bigger bigger than picking you up from the hospital was yeah. riding all the way there like in the van with you um, was the first time that I fully experienced how deep your psychosis was and oh yeah um, like just how it was like not only changing your behavior but like your whole personality was like different yeah. essentially from the person that I had grown up with and had seen yeah so so you would say that was the first time you kind of like realized that I was probably hiding like how it actually was mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah, yeah dude I'm, I'm really glad you bring up um, you know what it what it kind of looked like from the outside right because you know, I remember freshman and sophomore year of college, obviously, when you'd come out and visit and we'd mm-hmm. go out to the parties and, and have, you know, like tons of fun. And there was definitely a time and, you know, when I was first getting started down the road of addiction where, where it was, you know, for sure fun. I had some good times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it was so easy for me to, you know, base my own, um, right, because I wanted to look that way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. So I wanted to. You know, I, sh- I struggled with that for a long time, dude, is, you know, I wanted to be seen from the outside as, like, having a great time, like a party animal, like all sorts of stuff, um, when in the, you know, the reality of was it, you know, the reality of it was, you know, I really only felt good when I was getting fucked up, mm-hmm. um, and it's, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up, though, because it's, uh, it's a, it's a serious piece of, you know, what, what my story was, um, was I was living that dual life. You know for the longest time like I wanted you know obviously I wanted mom and dad to think that I was doing really good in school and staying on top of all my schoolwork and if that's what I thought they thought about me then I felt good about myself mm-hmm. and then for you like you know being, being my little brother like coming out to visit and stuff and you know for my for, for my friends and stuff too mm-hmm. I wanted everyone to think that you know I was just all about having a good time and you know I never wanted you to know that like you know, we would go out to a party and then like the next morning, bro, like I'd be like searching around for like a quarter stick of Xanax that I hid for myself the night before, you know, mm-hmm. just so I could like get up and like, you know, like be functional throughout the next morning and the next day. Um, and like, that's like, dude, I hid that like from my closest friends, right? Cause I didn't want anyone to know or think mm-hmm. that it was, you know, that it, that it was getting to that point. Um, it can definitely be a big thing. I like just trying to hide hide that struggle yeah and at least when I came and visit like I couldn't tell at all and even if you could tell me about it a little bit and like fill me in and say like yeah I like there are some drugs that I struggle with and I'm trying to stay away from them like specifically your cocaine addiction oh yeah I told you about that that yeah a little bit ahead of time 
Yeah. But um, still, like, you, you, any time you were telling it to me, you were telling me, like, I struggled with it, but I'm handling it now. Like, just wanting to say, like, if some people will struggle, but not me. I can, I can always handle it. Like, I yeah. can handle my shit. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, like, for me, in order for me to get where I'm at today, in order for me to really, you know, finally be able to take this recovery stuff serious, I had to get to the point where it doesn't matter. Like, now, it doesn't matter who it is. Like, I'll open up about this stuff to anyone. Like, anyone, especially the people I care about the most. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I want them to know, like, what I went through and, like, what I have to do today on a daily basis in order to you know, maintain the recovery that I found, Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting to that point for me, that was, that was the most important thing. We talk about it in recovery a lot. It's, you know, uh, people refer to it as the point of surrender, right? And so I was able to surrender and like finally admit to myself, like, this is a serious thing. This is going to kill me. You know, I have no other option. I'm either going to die and, you know, not only ruin my life, but greatly affect the lives of the people I care about. You know, and and I also had to admit that I was powerless over it, like for mm-hmm. so long, dude. This, especially with the coke thing, because I'm glad you bring that up too. Is because, uh, like, I had a big phase with cocaine, and then I stopped doing cocaine altogether. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I haven't done cocaine for much longer than I've you know been clean and sober for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was largely due to the fact that my ex girlfriend at the time, you know, kind of hit me with the ultimatum. Um, but also I've justified, you know, all the other stuff that's like, oh, well, at least I'm not doing coke anymore, mm-hmm. you know, right? But I was still, like, constantly getting fucked up. I mean, but I would I would use that to you, too. I would mm-hmm. say to you, like, it's you know, like... That you can handle it. It's evidence yeah. that, like, if I really need to, I can stop all these things. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, so getting to, getting to that point for me was huge. Like, you know, being able to finally admit, like... You know, like, I have to surrender to this disease. Like, it doesn't matter what substance. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm drinking beer, smoking weed. Like, the substances in and of themselves really didn't matter. And that's that's where I had it twisted. You know, I used to think, like, oh, as long as I stick with weed and beer, like, I'll be fine. Like, you know, like, it's just the hard drugs that I got to stay away from. Um, but, man, like, there was never a time where I successfully stuck with just weed or just alcohol. You know, there was never a time where, you know, I just smoked one joint. You know, I always kept pushing and kept pushing. Um, but yeah, Dad, uh, <laughs> Dad, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, similar, the same question. Like, when did you first realize that I, that it was actually getting serious Yeah, around was, that same time? No, well, yeah, the exact same time. But yeah. it, it was basically laid into your story. Yeah. And that's the tricky thing about addiction is, um, you know, people drink and smoke and they're okay and I knew you were drinking and smoking but you know I didn't know that there was an addiction problem the time that they're talking about is uh, BK disappeared one night and yep. his ex his girlfriend at the time called us and she was just like uh, I'm a little worried about BK he disappeared and was talking strangely on the phone so then your mom started calling police stations and hospitals and randomly called a police station in New Jersey and they said Barn Saunders and she's like yes and she was like, we have him and they wouldn't give us any other information other than that he was physically okay and they were releasing him to a hospital um, so we drove up to the hospital and even at the hospital we weren't sure you were gonna go home with us um, yeah. and uh, eventually you did and you were exhibiting signs of um, schizophrenia 
um, you were having, uh, uh, let's see, uh, delusions of grandeur and, oh, yeah. and paranoia, sure. uh, thought the government and the cartel were communicating and coming after him and, uh, and communicating him through billboards. Yeah, so like what's what's so crazy about that, right, is like I can like for me at least, like, you know, I can look back on that stuff and like laugh at it at just the absurdity of it. Um, because I've I've like come to like peace and I've come to terms with like, yeah, I went through a very serious drug induced psychosis. Um but, you know, I've, I've talked about it with, with other guests on the podcast, too, who, you know, they've experienced similar similar things. Like, man, in that moment, it was, like, so real to me. Like, it was serious to me. Like, I, no one could convince me that I wasn't being followed, like, by a cartel. But, um, and so even then, though, your mom and I didn't connect it with uh, a, addictive mm. addiction. We yeah. thought you were legitimately schizophrenic. And mm. we started doing research on schizophrenia, and that's miserable um, and horrible. And I feel horrible for anyone that has to deal with that. And th also, uh, after it started to go away in a couple weeks, we started reading about cannabis-induced psychosis and, uh, and what that is. And it's, so it's almost the exact same thing as schizophrenia. The only difference is cannabis-induced psychosis goes away at, if you stop taking drugs after a while whereas schizophrenia just stays until you die usually shortly you yeah. know a matter of years or decades who knows so so even then we didn't know that it was an addiction problem it wasn't until uh so you after that you gave up drugs for a little while and maybe not totally but for a while you were cleanish and um and then uh i think you had two different times where you relapsed that to me seemed like you relapsed against your will like you wouldn't have done the drugs but you almost were and then i kind of figured out that you had an addiction problem yeah. and at that point i get, thought you were done for mm. and that's when we went on the skydiving trip yeah because i was like who knows how long he's going to be around I, and uh so that was that yeah. Yeah, I liked to uh you know, I've I've also talked about that on, on the podcast before too, you know, mm -hmm. like in in that time, right? So that night that I started going into the drug induced psychosis, um, I actually got a DWI, right? Like no criminal charges or anything, mm -hmm. like um, but I was definitely, you know, driving while under the influence. And after well, that, actually, it wasn't even driving. It was that you had stopped the car exactly. and you were running around yeah. from house to house, yep. like trying to get someone to help you, yeah. basically, but in a not normal way. Yeah. Um, you'd taken your shoes off and oh, run yeah. around barefoot. You'd yeah. thrown your phone away because you thought they were tracking your phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, the, when I recollect that. I was like, I was driving down the New Jersey turnpike and, you know, I was deep in the psychosis at that point. And, um, you know, like I remember seeing these cars doing like this really weird thing where they would like fly by me on the highway and then cut over into my lane, mm -hmm. slam on the brakes so that I would have to slam on the brakes. Typical to New Jersey driving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And then they would like shift lanes and go off or whatever. Um, and I was like, you know, just deeper and deeper convincing myself that someone was like messing with me or like trying to make sure I knew I was being followed. 
and then like like even to this day right like i know it was psychosis and i'll probably hallucinate the whole thing but i remember what it looked like a big like a black chevy suburban pulled up next to me like matched my speed um and it was two dudes in there and the dude in the passenger seat had a brick laptop like one of those thick police mm-hmm. like the laptops police have mm-hmm. and i looked over at them and they looked at me and the guy in the passenger seat looked down at the laptop and then looked at the guy driving and they like nodded at each other and then like pulled in behind me and i instantly was like oh yeah like they're tracking my phone so i got rid of my phone uh like tossed it and um like like looking back on that like it's it's actually so scary like how how convinced i was of that um, but yeah, so back, back to what I was saying, right? So in, in that time after that, that I did get clean and I was, I was clean and sober for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, my first relapse was my 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. Right. But in that time I was, I wasn't like really taking it serious. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yes, I was clean and sober, but I wasn't in recovery, right? Like I wasn't going to meetings on a regular basis. I didn't surrender. I wasn't admitting to myself that it was due to a serious addiction that, you know, all these different things were happening in my life. Um, and I really, honestly, I did that, like, to get you and mom off my back, you know, kind of to make everyone, like, my close friends, my ex, like, you know, I wanted everyone to stop worrying about me. And I wanted to prove to everyone else that I didn't have a serious problem because, you know, like, hey, look, I'm able to quit everything if I really need to. Um, and, like, you know, when I then relapsed on my 21st birthday after that, you know, that was like a serious, just like you said, like I used against my will. My 21st birthday, I said, I'm going to have one shot at Hennessy. Um, and I drank like a fifth of Hennessy that night with the intention of drinking one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, like, yeah, I've never just had one shot of liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and then from that time up until like my current clean date, um, that was like the worst time for me. That was like brutal. Um, I wasn't able to get any sort of like real legitimate clean time, wasn't serious about recovery. I had kind of just accepted like, you know, and, and throughout that time I overdosed several times. Um, but you know, just always came through. Like I would, I overdosed one time and a friend, like, you know, I was, I was like on my back, like choking in my own throw up and my friend like put me on my side. Um, and I think about stuff like that. Like if that, you know, like I probably would have gone out that night. Um, and that at that point in my life, I really just accepted like, okay, like, yeah, this is how I'm going to go out. It wasn't until I overdosed at, mm-hmm. at home, like, um, and like it woke Aaron up or whatever, mm-hmm. my, my other little brother, um, you know, like that's finally when I was like, okay, yeah. And then going to the hospital after that, um, and yeah, and then going straight to rehab, straight to a recovery house. Like there was a, there's a huge difference of between like recovery and like just being abstinent Mm -hmm. um, and doing it for, you know, outside factors, outside reasons, like wanting to do it for like my family to stop having to worry about me. Like really it was, it was just to get everyone off my ass. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like this time around, like, you know, none, no outside factors. Like when it comes down to it, my recovery now is for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's how it, that's how it has to be for me. Um, otherwise I'll just go, you know, start going right back where, where I was, where I was basing it on other, other factors. Mm-hmm. Um, cause then, then I had those six months and like you and mom had like co-signed on me to get a new apartment. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then I, then I took a bunch of Xanax and OD yeah. there and you guys had to come pick me up from yeah. there. Um, 
and like that was a horrible weekend and, mm-hmm. and scary weekend and that was like i don't even really remember that entire weekend mm-hmm. if i'm being honest um so yeah i don't know i really appreciate you guys getting getting honest and, and telling this stuff because you know i kind of know about it but you know it's it's it really helps me to realize like at the end of the day you know the the core of my disease was really you know how self-centered i was and how only focused on myself i was mm-hmm. and you know i wanted what i wanted in that moment and i was willing to do whatever and disregard anyone else's feelings in order for me to go get high mm-hmm. um, i want to ask if that was a difference between like that that when you first got clean and then it was like that six months that you describe as being like the worst time for you not yeah overdose it's like, uh, two, twice yeah. or three times within a six month period like during that time had you essentially given up on your own life and just accepted like this this struggle is stronger than me but it's only killing me so that's fine yeah. or was it still like you kind of convincing yourself that you got it under control Oh, no, at that point, I definitely wasn't convinced myself I had it under control. Yeah, there was there was, there was, was a point where I kind of accepted, like, it is what it is. I'm probably going to die of an overdose. And, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, like, where I was at, like, for a long time. Um, yeah. That's, like, uh, I, I don't want to say that that's probably a difference. But if it is, like, making a big difference between that recovery of, like, saying saying that you want to recover now for yourself self is the same as like when you were overdosing like you were wanted to do those drugs for yourself but it, it was like expanding that idea from like just being selfish and focused on your own life to like realizing the damage that it does to the loved ones and yeah. the people that you're inter- interacting with like someone that you don't even love just a random person that you interact with could totally change their life yeah yeah and, and the difference um, when, I, when I think about uh, self-centeredness is like focusing on my recovery and doing what I have to do to stay clean mm-hmm. um, is a much, it's like that's much different than the self-centeredness of act, active addiction. Mm-hmm. Because by focusing on my recovery and staying clean, that's the only way that I'm ever gonna be able to show up for the people I care about in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's how I'm like today. That's how I'm able to show up for my family, my close friends, the people in my recovery network. Um, whereas, and and the difference was like now, like I don't just act on what it is I want in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like now, I'm I don't just act on like you know okay. I know if I take this, it'll make me feel good for a little bit in the moment. Get rid of some of these feelings I'm struggling with. Whereas like you know, it's it's much different. Um, it's that, you know, like short-term gratification versus long-term gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, uh, in those, uh, those first six months that I was clean, uh, they sucked too, <laughs> right? Cause yeah. I was like, I was still going over to couch park, like still like hanging out with people that were drinking, doing drugs, partying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like arrogant about it. I was like an asshole about it. I would like go somewhere where people were like partying and be like oh like yeah like look at me like i'm clean and sober like i don't, I don't need this shit you guys right you guys are weak like whole time i'm like damn i can't wait to just get high again after everyone else is off my ass mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and that's another big difference too um which i didn't even really uh you know like when like after i went through the psychosis and you know when i was starting to come out of the drug-induced psychosis mm-hmm. um dude like i 
100% had the intentions of getting high again. Um, like I, there was never a, during those six months that I was clean, there was never a time where I was like, yeah, maybe I'll actually stay clean. You know, it was like, oh, I'm definitely going to get high again once, you know, once, once I get past this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it just happened to be my 21st birthday where I was like, yeah, I've, I've done this long enough to prove that it's, that's not a big issue. Um, but yeah, and, and, the, and I say that because now, um, you know, like the, the vast majority of my friends um, that I, you know, used to drink and smoke and party with. Like the vast majority of them are like super supportive, right? Like they won't ask me, like if they're going out to a club or a, a concert or like a rave or festival, like, you know, they won't hit me up and ask me because they know that I, you know, that's not how I live my life anymore. Um, and they'll support me, like they'll go out for dinner with me. They won't drink beers. They won't drink at all while we're out at dinner. Um, and, you know, but I do spend the majority of my time with my friends in recovery and my recovery network. But occasionally, I have an old friend, like an old high school buddy or someone, you know, who will say something to me and they'll just be like, you know, like, yeah, so, you know, like how, how, how long of a break are you going to take? Mm-hmm. And so I haven't gotten that recently actually, right? Cause it's, it's been a little time, right? But, you know, within, you know, probably within my first year of actually being in recovery of like consistently going to meetings, like I went to over a hundred meetings in my first 90 days, right? Cause they were telling me go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, and you know, like during, probably during those first few months, you know, I would talk to an old friend, um, and they would say that they'd be like, so how long of a break are you taking? Mm-hmm. When and can I, I see you back at the bar? Exactly. When can I come mm-hmm. clubbing with you again? Yeah, exactly. Or like, when are you going to come through and smoke again? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like the, the main difference is like, you know, like now, like this time I actually being in recovery, like my answer for that is always the same. It's like, man, I'm living a different life today. You know, I'm not just taking a break. Um, you know, like this is a lifestyle. Um, and, you know, they'll be like, oh, shit. All right. Whatever. Be. And, you know, I have I have the, the friends that I'm closer with who know and, and understand what that means. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And whereas like, you know, before I was, you know, before I was actually in recovery, serious about recovery, you know, like I would, I would say like, oh yeah, I'm just taking a long tolerance break or some dumb shit like that. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, I might go for six months or like probably three months or like whatever. Um, whereas like, I would always say that shit like throughout, throughout my whole life of addiction. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's what they say. Relapse as part of recovery mm-hmm. is, um, you have to relapse a couple times before you can understand that that's not going to work for you. Exactly. Um, yeah. Just a little plug here. Um, my wife, BK's mom, is in uh, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. It's called PAL. And uh, it's very helpful for parents. And it teaches them a lot of what you guys are doing in the program. And one of those things is that uh, relapse is part of recovery. Because it was always super scary and frustrating to see you relapse. But then now, once, once you kind of learn that how that is and how it's part of the process and at some point you like learn from the relapse rather than yeah. dwell on uh, the, uh, how horrible it is and everything else yeah. um, it, it was helpful to us totally yeah and, and I mean I just, so I definitely think about it that way mm-hmm. um, you know like it sucked for sure but I needed to go through that time of you know getting clean and sober but not actually like taking recovery serious for how, how I needed to take it mm-hmm. 
Um, and like then those those relapses after showed me like, okay, yeah, if I'm if I actually want to change my life, like I have to look at this in a whole different way. Um, I can't look at this like a just just a little break to let everyone else chill out or like, you know, back off a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I mostly wanted to say in this podcast is uh, back uh, at some point I went to a meeting with you. And um, a lot of the people were talking about making amends and guilt to loved ones about things that they'd done and put them through. And, uh, and just as far as making amends, I never said this at the meeting, but I, because <laughs> I don't talk much and I'm not good at it, but um, it occurred to me that like for most parents and siblings might be different and other people, acquaintances might be different, for, but in most cases, the parents the main thing to do to make amends is just to live your best life and be in the program and do work the recovery and everything else because that's that's basically mostly what the parents want is just for you to be happy so like you don't have to worry about feeling guilty about any of that like don't feel guilty about putting me through stuff or anything because every day that you stay in recovery and work the program it makes it all just very happy i'm very proud of you and I'm sure we're proud of everyone else that is going through this because it, it's a hard, hard disease and something that takes more willpower than I feel like I would be able to handle. And uh, the, the accomplishments that you guys do is amazing. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm so grateful for, you know, obviously I'm so grateful for the support um, that, you, that both you guys and, and the rest of the family has shown me. Like, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for you guys. It's big. It's really big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a thing like that that <laughs> I can say, but I do love you, and it, it is a big deal. And every day is, is meaningful. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in recovery, we call it, you know, making living amends. Um, you know, it's it's a later uh, later on down in, in most, uh, like, 12-step programs to – actually make you know official amends um and i'm not there yet as far as my 12-step program goes that i'm working Mm -hmm. um but i know that every every day i stay clean you know i just i just get an opportunity um to to be there and and make amends that way yeah Mm -hmm. yep but yeah man i'm excited for the rest of this week you guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're uh we're down at down Rehoboth Beach, Delaware right now, baby. Beach vacation. Yeah. So I convinced these guys to hop on the pod. So, yeah. This um, is a really meaningful family vacation. Oh, yeah. Three hours. And yeah. even, like, you were struggling for one of these vacations. Yeah, mm-hmm. dude. You were struggling. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if we can bring that whole new topic in, but that was a, a, was a really weird vacation for me and probably for... Audrey and for Holden too. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? That was probably uh twenty twenty. Yeah, I think two years. Or even twenty twenty one. Yeah. 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 Probably both of those. Yeah, actually, it really <laughs> was both. Yeah, because twenty twenty one, um, when we were here, that was like a month before I my current clean date. That was a month before I actually got clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was. It was like one vacation in particular where dad and mom like pulled me aside and like just told me like Shane, you cannot let DK drink or, or smoke or do anything. And 
I know you're gonna be tempted because he's your older brother. This is for his own protection. And uh, that that always just puts like a little extra stress. I don't wanna say like blame you guys for putting stress on me and I don't wanna blame you for that either. Um, but it's definitely hard for loved ones because at least I sort of felt powerless. And I'm sure that you and mom felt that same way. Anytime VK relapsed, you'll just feel that like you gave him all the options and then he still relapsed again. And uh, I would say you probably even felt that same way about powerless yeah. and about how that's like an important step to admitting that you're powerless. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm 100% powerless over the disease of addiction. Um, but I'm not powerless over my recovery. You know, that's, that's how it is. That's how it's got to be. <laughs> I love you, dude, for real, man. And, you know, words cannot express how, how grateful I am for all your support, man. Seriously. Yeah, I, I love you. And I can't express how proud I am of all the progress that you made. And this thing right here is awesome. All the beats and <laughs> the the whole keychain yep. getting longer and longer. Yes, yeah. sir. It, yes, sir. It is really meaningful. And it's, it's big steps. guys we've been going for a half hour nice flew by uh, right mm -hmm. yeah. not too bad it goes quick on the pod <laughs> it goes very quick on the pod yeah i remember uh the episode i had with monty um we went for like over two hours i think and it was like we were ready to just keep going and keep going and he was like man i gotta get out of here but but yeah no, mm -hmm. i appreciate it yeah it's um it's it's something about um about that that fact of you know finally admitting powerlessness um you know and and it's i'm actually glad you brought it up that that you felt that way too mm -hmm. um and i th i think it's an important thing for anyone to realize you know that you know we are powerless over other people and their actions and what they're struggling and what they're going through mm -hmm. um it's something that i struggle with you know, I, I get, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of friends of mine that, you know, I've gotten close with and, and recovery and when they go back out or when they relapse, it, it can be very hard. Um, and I've, I've really lately, especially I've had to kind of had to catch myself in, you know, wanting to control them or like, mm -hmm. just like get them and say like, Hey man, like, look, if you just stick around, you know, like if you just follow suggestions, right? Because yeah, it means the world to me to hear like how proud of me you guys are um, but I'm here to say that I owe all of that to the program of recovery and, and the people I've met along the way you know the people with like 20 30 years clean like you know like my sponsor my network you know like everything you know that I have and as far as my life goes today like I owe that all to the program of recovery mm -hmm. um, you know and the advice and suggestions I've been able to get along the way I say all the time that the opposite of my active addiction is connection and the connections I have in my life today that I didn't have previously. Um, you know, it's those sorts of relationships that are just based on love and understanding and, you know, mutual experience. Um, you know, they say an addict helping another addict is without parallel. Um, and I find that to be so true, man. And it's, it's so hard for me when, you know, when someone in recovery I'm close with goes back out, but I need to remind myself, like, 
um, that's out of my control. Um, like I'm powerless over that. All I can do is be here to support them, give advice, give suggestions, mm-hmm. tell my own experience. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah, that is so unimaginably, unimaginably brutal to be recovering with someone and then hear about the relapse or He's worst gone. case scenario, just hear about them die. Yeah. It can happen in an instant. And yeah. And it can be like such a strike probably if you're working on recovery with someone, like even someone that's been in recovery for longer than you can just relapse just as easily. And it, yeah, just accepting that you're powerless over, over those things and those people. <laughs> Dad, happy Father's Day. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, any, uh, any questions, anything else you wanted to get into? That drug induced psychosis was serious though. Yeah, it makes me wonder, uh, not clearly not all schizophrenics, but I, I wonder if a lot of schizophrenics start with a drug induced psychosis. And then if you didn't, if you abstained for a, a few months afterwards and it would away, but if you hadn't, if you kept the psychosis going for uh, six months or a year, then when do you like would have become a yeah. uh, the mental Ill- anyway it's a it's a struggle that was scary everything everything about it was scary but you seem to have come through the other side so I hope so mm-hmm. I hope so or are coming in the process of coming through the oh, other yeah. side I have some questions that I could ask you about your recovery from the psychosis in particular yeah dude so like when you first um, got home uh, I remember like talking to you in the attic sometimes, like just playing zombies or anything that we would normally do, and then you like out of nowhere you would just bring up a topic of like some hidden world order and about how everything <laughs> that everything I see has subliminal messages that are secretly meant for you, and you're the only one that can interpret them and perceive what they're trying to tell you. Um, and I'm wondering, like during your process of getting out of that psychosis was it like slowly small little things that you started to kind of tell yourself like uh actually that's probably not real or was it just like all at once you kind of like, oh like, yeah dude, it, it, def- it definitely wasn't all at once um it was def it was definitely a slow going process mm-hmm. um and you know getting getting help with like counseling and, and therapy helped for sure um but it was yeah, it was a slow, slow process. It would be um, kind of how you described it. I would, you know, I would see stuff happen, like just total regular occurrences, mm-hmm. and I would start to think like, oh, like that's someone like showing me that they're following me again, like they're back or whatever. And then I would kind of just be like, no, it's not. Like that's just a random person like sitting outside of a you know post office with their hazards on. Like they're not. That's not someone following me. Whereas like when, when I was like a couple weeks prior to that, you know, when I was going through it, I'd be convinced. Um, so slowly over time, like, uh, the stuff that I was very convinced was like real and like actually going on, 
little by little I would just tell myself like no like that's a regular thing mm. like that's nothing that's like not a sign or like a message or anything like so, that so it's not like you you didn't like stop seeing those signs one day or like see less of them you kept seeing them but you just were telling yourself like I, I that is not a sign like, yeah I so that dude so the thing the thing with the signs in particular was so crazy so basically what it was right when um and I, I think the, um, cause dad, you had talked about the cannabis induced, uh, psychosis, which mm-hmm. I definitely think was a huge part of it. Um, but I also personally, I contribute a lot of it, um, to like the LSD that I was mm-hmm. doing as well. Um, and the thing with the signs was I would see a sign, like literally a road sign or like an exit sign. Mm-hmm. And it would look like it was like changed. Like someone had like scraped off like the letters and like just put like a spray paint stencil and like spray painted like a different street name or like a different mileage. And I was seeing that and thinking that it was someone like trying to throw off the people that were following me. So they couldn't like look at the exit or the street sign and like see like, okay, like wait, no, like this isn't. Uh, for example, like this isn't like um, one one that was really crazy um, was we were going to College Park to get my stuff and I saw like a Mustang like p- uh, pull in front of us and I, you know, was still in psychosis. So I thought it was someone that had been following us. And then I saw a street sign that looked like it had just been changed, like a brand new, sh- like I could see on the metal um, like light post where a sign had clearly previously been, mm-hmm. and then a new sign was like right next to it that said Mustang Drive. And this Mustang was like right in front of us, and I would look at stuff like that and convince myself that no, like that wasn't a coincidence, like they were doing that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? It does make sense. So like even even in your psychosis, it was like you were convincing yourself that, oh, that sure. anything you saw was a, a, a message or yeah. like, uh, someone yeah. telling you something. Yeah, and but the thing with the signs was crazy because I would uh, I would like have the GPS up or something, and the GPS would say something different than like what the actual like road sign said, mm-hmm. and like I would just look at that as like oh like oh, this is a grand conspiracy against me or something. Where in reality it was like the GPS like rerouting. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean. In particular, like, <laughs> like when we were driving really crazy, to like, pick up your car from the impound lot. Yeah. Um, like the. The GPS mom was driving and we were sitting in the backseat of the van and the GPS would say like exit in one mile and then you would point up to the roadside and it would say exit half a mile and you would like be like Shane like look look it's different like they changed it and like that like but it was because we had driven to half a mile yeah Yeah. (laughs) or like the roadside gives you a little bit of extra time and the GPS is more accurate or whatever yeah, that, dude, for me, like, looking back on that, that was, like, one of the weirdest, uh, weirdest parts of the psychosis, and that's, that was a, that was a slow change, um, and one, one that I thought was really weird was, uh, I was, um, like, like, after I had come out of it, so what was weird about it was, you know, like, I had pretty much come out of the psychosis, probably, probably, like, two months after, um, the incident, right, where you guys had to come get me. Stopped wearing your hat. Yeah, I stopped wearing... <laughs> yeah, I was, I was doing very bizarre things. But, um, and then, like, but then, like, little things would almost, like, kick it back in. Um, and that would, like, kind of, like, scare me. Because um, then I would question, like, wait, like, was that actually psychosis or was it not? And, like, was someone convincing me that I went through psychosis and they wanted me to believe that it was a psychosis? 
Um, and, and an example of that would be like two months after, right? Like I had pretty much come out of the psychosis, um, but I was like speeding. Um, like I was, I was definitely speeding, like driving overly fast. Um, and then I went, went onto a different street and I saw like a sign that like looked like it had just been set up. Like it was, uh, it was on like Cannon Street or something. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I go down there, like it's, especially I was working on the boat in the summer. I was just going down the high street in, in Chestertown. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had driven down that exact street earlier in the morning when I was going to pick something up for the boat mm -hmm. and the sign wasn't there. And then I drove back down it and the sign said, slow down. And I was like, whoa, like, damn, like someone's been watching me like drive so reckless around here and, you know, put up the sign to say like, hey, like we're still watching you. Like you need to slow down, chill out, like watch how you're moving. Mm -hmm. um, when in reality, like that sign was probably already there and I wasn't paying attention and, you know, I was on my phone or, or switching the radio or something. But I would see something very subtle like that. And it would almost like start sending me spiraling again. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would like snap out of it and be like, no, like that's, that's not real. Did you have a method of like trying to snap yourself out of it? Or like, did they tell you some like mental exercise in your counseling and therapy to like help yourself stop those loops in your head? Yeah. So, um, something, something that my therapist told me, um, was just, you know, question like, the kind of like a so what aspect of it, um, which I, th I thought at first was kind of like weird. But when I like the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. And I've, I've heard of similar experiences um, with drug induced psychosis. Um, so the so what aspect of it is like, okay, like, so so what what do you so what if someone put that sign there, you know, and they were watching me like, what is that what is that actually going to do is that going to make me live my whole life totally different and live my life in a paranoid way where it affects me and negatively affects how i go about my day or am i just going to acknowledge like okay maybe someone put a sign there so what i'm going to live my day as if everything is normal and the more that i tried doing that the less and less i would like spiral like the more that i kept my focus on you know let me just focus on the task at hand let me just focus on living my life as if I've always lived it. The more that I focused on that, the less and less I would become paranoid. Um, and, a, and a similar similar experience um, that a friend of mine shared one time is they, they were on a psychedelic trip. And when they came out of this psychedelic trip, they thought they were dead. And they thought they were in like purgatory. Mm -hmm. And were like walking around the world in like a dream state. And that they were dead and that everything they were seeing was like not real like it was all in their mind mm -hmm. um, and like for one like that seems like a terrifying thing to experience um, and you know my friend said that it went on for a good amount of time and then they kind of were just like okay well so what so what if this is purgatory and if this is all in my head I'm gonna live my life and, and, and enjoy this and try and you know live my life to the be the best version of myself that I can be. I'm not going to let it affect how I live in this purgatory or whatever it, he thought it was. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And uh, when he when he switched to that mindset, it went away. You know, he stopped thinking about it as much. Stop being paranoid about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely seems like a, a good little trick, and it, it could yeah. probably help even with just like anxiety or something like that too. Like, yep. 
like I, I saw recently just describing anxiety as like just feeling like you messed up any social interaction. Like you just had a social interaction with your person and what, as you're walking away with them, you're telling yourself like, that was weird, I was weird, they probably think I'm weird, everyone thinks I'm weird. But if you just tell yourself like, so what? Like, so what if that person thinks I'm weird? Like that was a one second conversation that I just had with them, so what? Yeah. I think that could, could help. No, it definitely helps with anxiety. And the other one I want to bring up, and um, and this is uh, this is something I hear often in uh, in recovery. Like old timers in recovery will tell me this a lot. Is you know like, are you really that important? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what really helped me get out of my psychosis because, I mean, like, come on, like, am I really that important that a Mexican drug cartel would be following me? Hell mm-hmm. no. they got way more stuff going on than to be following me around chester town or college park or wherever i was at the time you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and and that helps me out with anxiety a lot too um because dude i i feel that way you know i'll leave a social interaction and i'll be like ah damn like that was so awkward like you know they're gonna be thinking about that they're gonna they're thinking to themselves right now like ah damn like you know, like Barnes is so weird. Like, what the hell is wrong with him? Like, why was he acting like that? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, man, like, I'm not that important. They're probably not. The majority, dude, everyone has their own shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, when, you know, everyone's thinking about their own shit, their own problems that they're dealing with. You know, I'm not, I'm not so important that I'm going to be taking up time in someone else's mind thinking about me and how awkward I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that helps me, you know, with anxiety for sure. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that, that really, that was like the final, you know, that's what kind of led me to where I'm at today, where I can like look back and laugh about the absurdity of it. Um, just thinking to myself, like, you know, like I'm not that important. Like I'm not that guy that's <laughs> out here causing problems for a cartel mm-hmm. to the point that they got to follow me and keep tabs on me. Like I literally wasn't doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. That definitely seems like a good strategy, but if you are fully experiencing a psychosis and the delusion of grandeur, then it probably won't help. No, not in the moment. You were fully there. You're asking yourself, like, what about, like, why me? What's what makes me so important? You would tell yourself, I'm so important because of this, 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 and this. All these things that I did in my past that I'm gonna do in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard when. um so I, I have, I have a friend who's, you know, still occasionally struggles, um, with like, uh, like drug related psychosis. Um, and it's, it's weird because it does come in waves. Um, and then, you know, like for me, when I, when I was really in it, you know, the more that people try to convince me it was a psychosis, the more I convinced myself that, you know, they, that it was real. And, and the way that I, it worked like for me was like. When I was in the middle of the psychosis and people would try to convince me that it was psychosis and all in my head, I would then say stuff to myself like, okay, like they know what's actually going on and they need me to acknowledge and act as if it is a psychotic break. So that way the forces that are worried will say, okay, you know, we've successfully convinced him that it's all in his head. Um, but I would, I would literally say stuff like that to myself. Like I need to act. You said that stuff like that to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's so framing. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and it, it, it sort of, it, it, again, just goes to being powerless. Like, dad and mom could be trying so hard to help you, and if you telling yourself that they're on the side of the the evil force or the good force, like, they are they are colluding with everyone else that's telling you psychosis, then they, like, that, that is making them even more powerless. Like, the people that are trying to help you the most yeah. are going to seem like they're trying to do you the most oh, harm. And that's a big problem with schizophrenia. And it was a big problem when you, the first couple of days you get home, as we didn't feel comfortable leaving you alone because you would mm. run, you would leave the house. Yeah. So no, we I didn't feel, that. we didn't feel comfortable leaving you alone. And you felt like we were spying on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's often the problem with people who are with schizophrenia and people trying to help that help, help those people as well. Anyway, yeah. yeah. If the people you, the people that are looking out for you the most and doing the most to try and support you are the ones you trust the least, then you're gonna have like, you're not gonna be able to accept the, their help or their support. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely. So like the whole first night you were home, I stayed up with you, yeah. awake, and uh, and then one time you left, like when I turned my back for a second and I like chased you down the street. Yeah, no, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I re I remember uh, thinking that someone had hacked into the PlayStation and was like sending me like coded messages and stuff through the PlayStation. Yeah. 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 It was very, very, uh, very intense, for sure. Yeah. It's it's actually kind of it. It's actually kind of nice. Um, to, to, well, no, not kind of. It's really nice to talk to you guys about mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 The uh, the when I when I left the house, I was uh, I was convinced that there was gonna be a jeep like waiting for me to like hop in and like then I'd be good to go like with the keys in it already good to go. Um, and that was because I had seen something on the PlayStation. Like I was like browsing the internet and there was like all these like messages or ads, like pop-up stuff about G's. Yeah. And then stuff that was like, you're good, you can go. Yeah, I don't think the internet is helpful for schizophrenia. Probably not. Definitely not, probably. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's it's something that I I feel is important to talk about. I always feel like it's important to talk about um, the mental health aspect of of active addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's I feel like it's important to talk about it when I talk about it with people in recovery. Um, you know, because a lot of times it can kind of, you know, get brushed aside when um, you know, when the drugs are are out of the picture. Um, but it's very important to, you know, be honest and open and talk through stuff. Um, and that's something that I learned as well, um, like throughout, throughout my process and recovery. Um, like when I go, when I go to like meetings and like share, like it's very, very therapeutic. Um, like it's a huge part of it for me. Um, it's just, you know, I know I have somewhere I can go to just open up and talk about whatever. Um, even the podcast has been hugely therapeutic for me, mm -hmm. um, you know. Yeah. I've enjoyed the current season. It's nice to see. It's one of it's rem, reminds you that ad, the like the addiction, the disease of addiction, addiction 
it hits everyone. Yeah. Like the diverse people that you have, like from such different backgrounds with such different stories. Um, it's just, it, it's a terrible disease and it doesn't, like everyone's got their own story and they're all different. And, and the, the way out of it is different too for almost everyone. Mm -hmm. not, no, not anyone is going to follow the same path of EK. Like the psychosis gets picked up by his family like someone might follow something similar but it, it will not be the same journey that you went on mm -hmm. and like anyone else that is also dealing with recovery like there's going to be some similar similarities but it's it's all individual yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. all right you guys well mm -hmm. I, I think it's a great way to wrap it up definitely this was a this was awesome i really mm -hmm. appreciate you guys coming on the pod yeah. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, of course, of course. Oh, yeah. All right. So, as always, here on the Sunday Recovery Podcast, we do like to let everyone know that we are not affiliated or associated with any 12-step programs. You may hear us discuss things such as meetings, 12-step meetings, sponsorship, um, the program of recovery. And, you know, what we're all about here is supporting lasting recovery. And, you know, that it's a never-ending process. Each day, just getting better and better. So thanks again for everyone tuning in this Sunday. Happy Father's Day. Hope everyone has a great week. And we'll catch you next Sunday.